0: This morning we continue in the book of Acts, and we'll be looking at verses, excuse me, at chapter 14, verses 8 through 20. And the title of this morning's message is "Gospel Men on Mission." So, if you will look with me there in in Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 8, and we'll read read through verse 20. And there, beginning in 8, God's word says to us at Lystra. A man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. And this man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and he began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice in the Lacanian language And so the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd crying out and saying, "'Men, why are you doing these things?' We are also men of same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even saying these things, with difficulty they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews from, from Iconium, having won over the crowds, uh, they, stood, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city... The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. Well, this is quite an encounter here. Nice way to start your ministry in Lystra, right? And this portion of the text here that we enter in in, uh, uh, chapter 14 here, we find them in Lystra. We find them now moving across the, the, the region of Galatia there. And we do so because they've been called on this missionary endeavor. They've been called by God and they've been commissioned by the church there at Antioch. Now, as we see here, I want you to think about just as they're going to, we're going to walk through this first missionary journey here. And we we see them now in a very difficult circumstance. And they don't know what, what lies ahead, right? What they do know is that they've been called. They've been called by God and they've been commissioned corporately by the church family. And they'll encounter stiff resistance, unforeseen obstacles, and sudden opposition. And we see a little taste of that right here in Lystrum. So they they had to routinely handle difficult situations, to say the least. And if you think about it, in our missionary journey, And by the way, remember, we're all missionaries. In our missionary journey, we too will have to handle a lot of difficult circumstances, opposition, unforeseen situations, many obstacles. So we can learn a lot from uh, Paul and Barnabas here. How did they handle these unforeseen issues? And we need to learn a lot because... Our mission matters. Your mission matters. You're a missionary on mission where God has called you to at this moment in your life. Now, the circumstances could change, the situation could change, but your calling as a gospel missionary will not change until Christ comes for you. Your mission matters. So, what are you doing on your journey? What are you saying? How are you handling your trials? Well, let's take a look at Paul and Barnabas and see if we can glean some wisdom from their journey and their ministry as we find them now entering entering into Lystra here. Uh, How do they deal with their unpredictable circumstances on their missionary journey? Now, again, they're on their first journey. We're in kind of the first leg of it. And in total, it's going to last about two years And it's going to cover um, uh, Iconium and Lystra and Derby. That's going to be the primary area. So they'll go through and they'll come back and sweep back through again and then return back to their home church there in Antioch. Altogether, it's going to be about 12,050 miles and it's going to take about two years. They're going to make, uh, really kind of, they're going to loop through, okay, those areas. Now that said... I want you to see first the clarifying power of the gospel there in verses 8 through 17, the clarifying power of the gospel. Now, what I mean by this is they're calling, their gospel calling, which is the same calling that you have for today. If you're a blood-bought follower of Jesus Christ right here this morning, you have the same calling. Now, not the same uh, in terms of specifics, but you have the same gospel calling. You with me? And so in that sense, as the gospel clarified their missionary endeavor, the gospel clarifies your missionary endeavor. And what I mean by that, as the circumstances change, as obstacles come along, as difficulties arise, as issues come up, the gospel itself will give clarity to your mission, not necessarily your circumstances, although they're important, not necessarily uh, the the, the, uh, social issues of the day, Surrounding you in an outside culture, although they're important. But as you face the changes in the environment of your mission, the gospel gives clarity to how you move forward, not the circumstances. Now, are you to be aware, keenly aware, and wise? Wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove? Yes, indeed you are. But you'll need to have this bottom line as things come at you that you may not have foreseen. The gospel will clarify your mission. It will clear that, that, that uh, gray area that seems to come in there and appears to be something that could be divisive or uncertain or draw you into uh, 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 alternative directions that you may not have anticipated. The gospel itself will clear that away for you and, remi- and remind you, of the clarity, the crystal clarity of your mission. And so that's what we're looking at here, okay? So that's what, kind of where I want you to see. I'm, I'm starting here. Hold that in mind. So the gospel brings unexpected circumstances, to say the least. Well, let's look there beginning in verse 8 and see what's going on. Verses 8 through 10, I want you to join me there. And so they're, they're moving into to Lystra there, and they, they find a man who's, who's lame. He's been lame from birth. And we see there in verse 9 that he's listening to Paul. Now, what do you think Paul's saying? What's Paul doing? What's he listening to? Well, he's listening to the gospel. That's what Paul's there to do, to preach the gospel. So the man's listening to the gospel. Paul notices the man has faith to be healed. And so he speaks to him there in a loud voice. In verse 10, it says, he tells him, stand upright on your feet. And the man, he didn't just stand. He, he, he jumped up and he began to walk. Now here, this again is a marker of God's at this time in this apostolic age, and the first, uh, 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 this first ministry from uh, a missionary ministry into the Gentile community from this Gentile church there in Antioch, this first endeavor this, in this apostolic age, we see again that the Lord is honoring and validating the gospel message through miraculous works. So just make note of that again. And that's what's happening right here. So the man's listening to him, but also remember it starts with the gospel, right? That's what's happening. He's listening to Paul. And as Paul preached, he, he's, he recognizes the man has uh, faith to be healed, and he heals him. And again, validation of the God is not Paul in himself. It's the Spirit of God enabling Paul to now, uh, 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 to, to now grant this, this, this healing to the man, which is really the work of God working through his missionary Paul. And so the man gets up and walks. But then in verse 11 it says, The crowd saw what Paul had done, and they raised their voice, saying in the the Lacanian Lacanian language, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. Now what's going on here? Well, we find here um, in verse 12 that they call Barnabas Zeus, and that Latin would be Jupiter, you might be more familiar with Jupiter, and they call Paul Hermes, which would be Mercury, because he was the chief speaker now there's a little background here that'll help us so they so we're in a pagan culture and they now see this miraculous work, and so they start attributing godlike status to Paul and Barnabas. but they have a little background for this, so there was there was fable myth, legend that that uh, uh, was in this valley in this valley where we find lystra there was an old myth that in times past these two gods uh, are, had come down so in other words uh zeus and hermes had come down and they had uh, taken on the form of man and asked for a place to stay and no one in the city would grant them a place to stay Everyone turned them away, except an older couple, a man named Philemon and his wife, welcome in and they stayed there the night. The next morning, they got up, they took the older couple up to the mountains, and they flooded the whole city, killing everyone. And then they turned uh, the older couple's old, old little broken down shack into a nice glorious palace. And that was the old myth and fable. So the people of the area here were saying, okay, we messed up long time back, but then we're not going to let it happen again. So now this must be the return of these gods and what we're not going to be unwelcoming again. So the old fable uh, kind of carries the day there and they are ready to offer sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And we see that there in verse 13. So the priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So they're going to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas here, you see? Now we have a problem. Now we have an unforeseen circumstance. Let's see how our apostles handle it. Well, first they were speaking in their native tongue and they didn't really know what was going on. So they weren't sure what was being said there. But they knew that something miraculous had happened. They knew that they had healed this man. And by the way, we're going to see that again and again. The healing. Healing is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, God, over and over, will use the gift of healing to, again, be a part of the gospel message. And we see that here. We're going to see that follow through. The gospel's coming to a larger crowd. And again, you're going to see the division. You're going to see those who will hear and respond to the gospel and those who will oppose it and right in the middle of this is this healing that transpires again god validating uh, their message but also it's a good reminder to us look god is just wonderful at bringing the gospel around sick and hurting people and here we find a guy that's been uh lame from birth He's miraculously healed here. And the gospel just flows with these circumstances. So don't lose sight of that. You know, love on sick people. Be kind to them. Encourage them. Uh, uh, Minister to them. That's always a ripe, fruitful field for the gospel on your mission. So don't lose sight of that. Here it begins a platform for some really bad misunderstanding of what Paul and Barnabas, who they are and what they're there to do, okay? Well, they're calling them gods and they're preparing to make sacrifice. Now, it's interesting to note the the, the inclination in the human heart to want to see God come down and manifest Himself. So there's a longing here in these pagan hearts. Now, where do you think that came from? They're really off base here, are they not? They are really off base. But where do you think that longing to see God interact with man to come down in such an intimate way? That comes from God Himself. Now, this is a pagan revealing of the heart, but we know the truth. God has come down. The word... The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The incarnation is the fulfillment of this longing of the pagan hearts that we see right here. Now it's misplaced, but don't lose sight of the fact that it's there. God places it in the human heart. And here we see a pagan uh, uh, overflow of that desire. Nonetheless, Is fulfilled in every sense of the word to the Incarnation. But here it's misappropriated on Paul and Barnabas. So what do they do? Well, eventually I understand what's going on. And so it says there in verse 14, when the apostles, and again, uh, apostles, uh, the term used in terms of missionaries, and we talked about that on last Lord's Day. Both of them are missionaries. And Paul's an apostle of Christ, and that's a different sense of apostle than Barnabas. But they are both uh, understood to be apostles here in the sense of missionaries, pioneer missionaries going out into uncharted waters to carry the gospel. So here they are both referred to as apostles in that regard. And when they heard it, That means heard it with understanding, heard what they were intending to do, got clarity on what was really going on in this circumstance. Look what they did. They tore their robes and they rushed in the crowds and they cried out, saying, Men, what are you doing? Why are you excuse me? Why are you doing these things? So you threaten them with their lives, they're calm. You oppose them, they're calm. You threaten to, to kick them out of the city they're calm. But you accuse them of being part of your making them idols. They go crazy. They go nuts. They'll have no part of idolatry. My goodness, look at these look just Paul Marsh, look at their past. It's littered with idolatry. I mean, this, this gets their attention. And they're outraged. So they begin to, to tear their clothes in, in their stance against this, this, this um, desire of the pagan crowd there. So they begin to rip away at their clothing, opposing this. And they say, why are you doing these things? We're men just like you. We're men of the same nature. In other words, we're flesh and blood just like you. But here's why we've come. We've come to preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to the living God. Now these vain things, that he's referring to what they're doing here. These foolish notions of what they perceive to be the gods coming down. This, This worship of nothing really. When it says vanity here with these vain things, it means you're worshiping no thing. It's your worship of nothing. You're you're ascribing your your worship to nothing at all. And we're here to tell you of the one true God who is worthy of all worship. Ascribe your worship to Him. This worship that you have that's innate in you, that you want to express, that you have some inkling within you, a need, a desire to express worship. We have the true God. The place that your worship truly belongs rightly belongs and so they give stiff resistance here to the pagans trying to offer sacrifice to them and then they point them to the gospel now we have to just pause and make note here they nip this up quickly They didn't ponder this for well. This might be a good inroad into reaching this culture. We might we might offend them if we turn them away too quickly. This could and they certainly pushed away immediately the notion of being praised and exalted and thought of as something more than mere men. However, they might try to shape that and turn that towards the gospel. And you think, well, that's, that's so silly. But haven't you in our modern day, in your cor- current culture and, and, and climate, have you not seen the church waver on, very, on, on something just like this? Well, if we can just find the right methodology, if we can just find some way to not offend them, if we can just find some effort to appease them and to meet them halfway, then we can get them the gospel message. Then we'll have a better platform then we'll have more influence into the culture. Then we'll befriend them. My goodness, if we, if we turn them away and we don't let them call us demigods and then later explain that we're not, we might offend them and shut the door immediately. We don't want to hurt their feelings. We need to cultivate the relationships. They came to a pagan culture. They recognized the idolatry and they fervently opposed it and immediately pointed them to the gospel. And they didn't ponder how this might, in their own human thinking and frailty, how this might somehow play out well for them as as incoming missionaries and maybe use the platform. They immediately opposed the idolatry in the culture. So application for us as missionaries, here's a healthy thought. Immediately oppose the idolatry in your culture. The Gospel clarifies that for you. And preach the Gospel. Preach the Gospel. Oppose the idolatry. Preach the Gospel. And so they stayed on point. They boldly proclaimed the Gospel. And again, That's what clarifies their mission. That's what clarifies our mission. Faithfully, boldly proclaim the gospel and leave the results to God. Now, I don't say that in a callous way in the sense of it doesn't matter. The results don't really matter to us. They do. Certainly, our hearts long to see lost men and women come from their pagan notions to the one true God in our uh, missionary context where God has placed us. Certainly we do or come from a superficial, in our context, maybe a superficial uh, um, sort of tipping the hat to the one true God to really coming to a saving faith in the one true God. Certainly we do. But know this, leaving the results to God is not a callous thing. That's a missionary gospel truth that gives us the capacity to proclaim the gospel boldly. If we go in and of our own strength, our own uh, missionary mandate, our own approach, our own methodology, and somehow think that we're going to make the difference, then again, we'll, we'll be turned away at the first opposition, or we'll fall prey to, uh, to, to compromise, with every good intention, but it'll be compromised nonetheless. But if we... Rely upon the Lord as these men relied upon. They were relying upon the Lord, right? And he brought them there and he used them to heal this man, to set a platform to continue the gospel there. And there was great uh, uh, confusion. There's an unforeseen circumstance and they face idolatry and they immediately turn it away and continue with the gospel. So in your context, let the gospel clarify to you. And leave the results to God in the sense that He's the one that's going to give us uh, the strength to be wise, and to be faithful, and to be bold. The message belongs to Him. We're the mere messengers. And the saving power belongs to God. So in that sense, leave the work to God. Be diligent. Be faithful. Be fervent. Be passionate. uh, Overturn every leaf in your missionary endeavor. But leave the saving results to God in that regard. So they were horrified by the idolatry and they turned it away. They stopped the sacrifice. And as they're now speaking to these men and and in the process of of turning them away and we'll we'll see that it was not an easy thing to to finally get a grip on that situation. Uh, He speaks to them Paul there in, verses 15, in verse 15, he speaks to them and, and, and initiates that turning away of the sacrifice with speaking of the one true God. Now again, he's speaking in terms uh, of, of ministering to them, uh, telling them about the one true God as pagans. So he sees them as pagans. And so he starts this way there in verse 15. He says, turn from your vain, from your vain things from worshiping nothing to worshiping the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And so he speaks to them in a language that they can understand. Now that's very important. That's a very practical methodology there. But nonetheless, he's relying upon the Lord and he's getting right to the gospel. So he says to them, turn from these useless things and turn to the living God. So their idolatry, their vanity, their worship of nothing, worship the living God, worship the Creator. So he starts there with the Creator. And he speaks to uh, uh, God's creative uh, reality that he's the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is within them so he points them to their creator and that's always true for us as missionaries of, of jesus christ god is the one true creator right he is the creator of heaven and earth whether you're ministering in a context where people uh, are atheists or whether uh, people view uh, um, uh, uh, evolution as, as the process through which now a, a man is, is here and at a state that he's in right now, that's not the point. The point is the truth of the gospel. So you clearly speak to them concerning the God of all creation. And that's how Paul starts with them. Here's the God of all creation. And he says something very interesting to them in verse 16. He says, in generations gone, uh, uh, gone by, God permitted all the nations to go their own way. So he's saying, uh, he's, forced, he's, he's looking ahead here, and he's dealing with this pagan culture, and he's thinking ahead. So he's seeing a question that might come up. And he's saying, so you might ask this. I'm telling you about the Creator God, and you might ask this. Well, why have we not heard of Him before now? That would be a good question, right? We have brothers and sisters, and that, that may not be a, a, a a pointed question in our current climate it may be in, in in the near future but we have brothers and sisters that are other places on this planet that's a very poignant question why haven't we heard of him until now so paul kind of heads this off and he does it in this wonderful way he says well god in his sovereignty has permitted uh, the nations ethnos the people groups to go their own way but, verse 17, he did not leave himself without witness. Now, here we go. Where's he going, y'all? Right to the gospel. Isn't this good? He's going right to the gospel. You haven't heard of this God, but he created you, and he's allowed you to go your own way. He's sovereign. He could have uh, brought us here uh, generations ago, but he didn't. But what he's not done is he's not left himself among you without a witness. Remember their human heart? Remember their longing to see the gods come down? And he's going to speak right to that reality. When you minister in your context, you're going to do exactly the same thing. You're ministering to people who were created in the image of God. And they have exactly what he's addressing here. The same people that you will address have the exact same uh, makeup. They have a morality. They have a moral compass. They have a sense of right and wrong. They have creation before them that screams to them the reality of their Creator. And they have His provision. His providential care. And that's a true reality for everyone. No matter where they're coming from or what they believe, that's true of them because they are created in the image of God. And that's who you're ministering to. Now watch how Paul handles this. So he says, you know, you're not left without... Um, or, or, excuse me, God did not leave Himself without Witness. In that He did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfied your heart with food and gladness. Now He goes right to God's providential care over them. The the natural flow of the season, the consistency of that, the rain that comes. All these things are true and they're in the heart of man. That innate understanding of this is there and He appeals to that. He appeals to them as those as those folks who although fallen yet they have been made in the image of God and that's exactly who you're going to minister to. People who are fallen but yet have been made in the image of God. They're created by God Almighty just like you. And they have that same innate understanding within them and that's right where he goes to make the appeal. Look, God created you. You have a moral compass right you have a conscience romans 1 18 and 19 for the wrath of god was revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness now there's the answer right there the things that that in your missionary field where people will believe and oppose the gospel that's a suppression of truth and so you just go right to the gospel and explain to them what you believe is the suppression of the gospel truth that's why the wrath of God is revealed against man. Continuing on in, in Romans 1, 18 and 19, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. There's the conscience. Everyone that you will minister to has that reality. The evidence of God is within them. They have a conscience. Also, they can see creation, Romans 1, 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived being understood by that which has been made so that they are without excuse. They're understood by that which was, by that which was made. They understand by just looking and seeing the glory of creation. But it's suppressed in the fallenness of sinful man. But you go right to that impulse with the gospel message. And obviously here, Paul brings up, uh, doing that very thing, he brings up God's providential care uh, in their reality here. And so, learn from Paul and Barnabas here in your mission field. When you're opposed, let the gospel clarify. And don't let the circumstances dictate to you, but take all circumstances and overlay them on this pillar of foundation. Everyone you're speaking to is a person created in the image of God. And what they have in their fallen hearts is, are these realities. They have, a, they have a moral compass. They have a conscience. That comes from God. That's a starting point. They have all of creation to see and observe. That's a starting point. And they have God's providential care over them. That's true of everyone. Go there and understand that their opposition of those realities are is their suppressing of the gospel truth. Go there and declare the gospel. And that brings us to the defying power of the gospel. The defying power of the gospel. Look there in verses 18 through 20. Beginning in verse 18, notice that it, uh, <coughs> there, Here the... Um, the author Luke, speaking of Paul and Barnabas here on their journey, uh, he describes it this way. He says, Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrain the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. So it still wasn't an easy deal. They're still convinced. Look, this is Zeus. This is Hermes. They've come back. We need to make sacrifices. So this was no easy task. But they just kept at it they never wavered they never tried to find an alternative course they never tried to retreat back and say okay this this ground this soil here is is too hard it's too difficult this stuff is too far ingrained in them they stay with romans 1 the reality there they're created in the image of god and they stick right with the gospel But it was hard to just fight them back and of course there's temptations to try to take another route an easier route. Well, maybe this will be the inroad. And we can just then we can fix the idolatry part later. Isn't that, isn't that the danger? To try to take that methodology? You know, the gospel with every good intention. The gospel's so important. And we'll just we'll just kind of skirt around some of these things and we'll deal with that idolatry stuff later. We'll we'll build this platform. And if, if, they, if, they have a, if they have a high view of us, if they like us, then we'll be able to speak truth to them. No, they fought it off from the scratch, from the very beginning, and they stayed with it. And it was difficult. So even saying these things, they found it difficult to restrain them. But that's exactly what happened. They did. And they got the gospel message to them. Well, how do we know there, Brother John? Uh, you know, it doesn't really elaborate. Luke doesn't elaborate on Paul's gospel here does he? he doesn't really give us that he doesn't that's true but notice there in verse 19 it says but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and we know what's happened there when they faced some of the Jewish leadership that was already settled in those areas some believed and some opposed them and those who opposed them supposed, opposed them severely right so there's the divide of the gospel the gospel does bring a sword but notice what happened these Jews came, they followed them, they chased them down, and having what? Won the crowds. What did they win the crowds back from? Oh, humor me. What did they win them back from? The gospel that Paul had proclaimed to them. Not all of them. Some here believe there's a church coming here. But at this point, many were won back by slander, right? That's the... That's the, the the mode of operation by slander. So these men come in, these Jewish leaders come in, they slander Paul and Barnabas again, and they convince many of the people there that these men are false prophets, they're horrible, what they're telling you is lies. They're awful wicked men. And they convinced the crowd. So they turned the crowd from the gospel message uh, to um, following the Jewish leaders. They turned them so much so that the crowd gave Paul and Barnabas over to these Jewish leaders who would have Paul stoned. Do you see that? They won the crowds over and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Wow. Okay. Defying power of the gospel. Well, you carry the gospel with courage and you carry the gospel with persistence. And that can't be done unless we're relying upon the Lord. That's how we carry the gospel, faithfully, boldly, and persistently. Paul stoned here. Now, what did he get stoned for? He got stoned for his wonderful gospel message. And so your, your mind's running right now and saying, Boy, that's horrible. You know, how could God allow that to happen? Because he was preaching the gospel. Yes, he was. He was preaching the gospel, and God allowed him to be stoned. Could God have stopped that? Yes, he could so here let me just give you a little application right up front here as we work in this part of the text god will use your pain for his glory and you say, man you don't understand i didn't come up in third gospel i came up in cushy north american gospel that's not good with me well it's not good with me either i'm as soft as they come but this is the truth this is the truth We can't stand up to this. We can't stand up to being stoned for the gospel. This must come from God. Strength to stand up and boldly proclaim the gospel and be persistent in the face of whatever comes. must That kind of strength must come from God. We won't do it on our own. We can't. This is reliance upon the Lord. But nonetheless, oftentimes, just settling in your soul, God will take your pain for your faithful carrying of the gospel and He'll use it to bless others. He'll use it as a means to bring Himself glory. So that's another way of saying He's not always going to preserve you and keep you safe in your standard of safety if you carry the gospel. And if you start to make deals with Him and say, well, it has to be this way, then you're in trouble. So we talked about duty a little this morning and duty coming from beauty, right? It's the love of the glory of Christ. It's the love of the majesty of our God. It's the truth and the faithfulness and worth of our great God that's been lavished upon us in saving grace that moves us out to carry the gospel no matter what. But know this. Have this as a great encouragement. God may allow you to suffer for the gospel. You're not alone. He's allowed many of your brothers and sisters all throughout the world, all throughout time, and He will continue to do it until He returns for us to suffer for His namesake. Scripture tells us very clearly that it's through what? Much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. But know that He will use your pain To bring bring blessing, to honor His name and bring blessing to others. And we're going to see that with Paul right here. So I want you to hold that little bit of application right up front. So they come in and they win this crowd over. The Jewish leaders win this crowd over. My, what a fickle crowd, right? Don't trust the crowd. Look, don't trust the circumstances. Don't trust the crowd. Trust your Lord. Carry the gospel. Boldly proclaim the gospel. Be persistent. The crowd can be fickle. Look, do I want you to be friendly? Of course. Does the Lord Lord want us to be friendly and polite and make friends? Yes. But if you spend all your gospel mission making friends and never get to the gospel, you've failed. You're not honoring your God. Gospel first. The friendships come, they come. So he's dragged out left for dead. You think he was was pondering Stephen ever this time? Well, that's, I, I don't have I don't have any point there. I just wonder that. You ever think he maybe he's pondering what he did to Stephen at this time? I don't know. I can't say. It crosses my mind. Um, and certainly someone could die here, right? So it doesn't seem like that. You know, they they've. they've they know what it looks like to stone somebody. It wouldn't be hard to imagine someone dying from being stoned. They're probably, it's not like, you know, they, they, threw, they just tossed a rock over there and, and knocked him out. I mean, they, they stoned him. And so there's certain he's dead. So, so we're seeing uh, um, the, the miraculous work of God in sparing this man's life, right? Because he's been stoned and left for dead, but he's not. He's alive. He's alive because God kept him alive. And so allow me to say this to you. You have a mission. You have a mandate. You've been commissioned by your God to go forth and carry the gospel. And no one's going to prevent you from doing that until God is finished with you. You know why Paul's still alive? He should be dead. But you know why he's still alive? Because God's not finished with him. It's as simple as that. God's not finished with him. He has more good works to do. God has ordained his salvation and God has ordained his good works. He's got more gospel to preach. Right? Ephesians 2.10 tells us that. For we his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There's more good works for, for Paul to do in his life as a Christian on this earth. So God's not going to let him go. God's going to keep you alive as long as he intends to keep you alive as his servant of the gospel. Isn't that comforting? Amen. Nothing, nobody, nothing, no circumstance is going to kill you off until God's finished with you. In some sense, if I got to put it in, in, a, in a, you know, a, a current vernacular, you're bulletproof. Nobody can touch you until God's finished with you. Now, are you going to suffer some pain? Well, maybe. Maybe. But that pain will be used for God's glory and quite well be a great blessing to a many number of people. We don't know that. Just settle your heart in the beauty of God's going to keep you here as long as He intends to keep you for His glory and for your good. Paul's not dead because God kept him alive. He's not finished with him. And the same is true with you. He will keep you here exactly as long as he intends to keep you here. And nothing's going to stop that. So that's a defying power of the gospel. Your mission here will defy every obstacle that intends to take you out until God's finished with you. The gospel is a defying gospel. No one's going to move you out of the way. No one's going to remove you from your mission. Now, you'll be accountable for your slothfulness, but no one's going to move you out of the way until God's finished with you. So we see there in verse 20 that Paul uh, was surrounded by some disciples there. You see they have some disciples made there. They were standing around him and he gets up. And he goes back into the city. You see that? He gets, back, he gets up and he enters the city. And then on the next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. So, wow. It's one thing for him to still be living. And that's a glorious truth that we can hold on to. Although we cringe at the pain that this man must be suffering. I mean, that's real pain. You know, these, these are not wounds that are just going to heal up the it's, it's next. That's not the case. We don't just see God come there miraculously heal the wounds as if it never happened. No, he'll carry the scars. He mentions that, you know. He's scarred literally for the gospel from head to toe. This man had suffered much pain. And we're not promised to be kept from that. We're promised to be held secure in our missionary mandate until God's finished with us. And that's a far greater truth. And then we're promised that God will even use our pain to bring glory to His name in a myriad of ways. And that's a far greater truth. And that's enough. But Scripture doesn't stop there. This man gets up and he goes back into the city. And you think, is he, has is he on the outside of his mind? What's he doing? Is he still, you know, uh, a, little, a little off from the, from the concussions? Well, no. Actually, he's displaying wisdom and courage, and they both come from the Lord. This is, not, this is counterintuitive to every human instinct we have, right? If somebody had just pummeled you to the point of death, it's not a natural thing for you to get up and go right back in. That's not natural in terms of just human nature. This is a supernatural work of God in one of His missionaries. God had called Him. To Lystra, and he must go back. The missionary the, or the mission must continue. So he went back. Why? He went back to strengthen and encourage the disciples. That's why he went back. What if these young men now they're going to leave them? That church is left without elders, and you know we're going to see them go back, and they are going to work on forming singular okay. churches with plural elders, elders and a plurality of elders, and we're going to see that consistently all the way through. But as this is happening in space time, there's 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 points of space and time that are real where these folks are left with little. And the Holy Spirit is merciful to them. But here, he he didn't even lick his wounds. He certainly didn't pull off the mission field. He didn't even bother to lick his wounds. He goes back. He comes to and just goes back to the city because they needed to be strengthened. They needed to be encouraged. There were new disciples there. That just witnessed minister this this missionary be stoned and left for dead, and so he comes back he didn 't abandon the mission he didn 't abandon the, abandon the, the the new baby disciples there he comes back, he did what God would have him do amen it 's just that simple, and the same is true for you and I when we pray together corporately, when you pray uh, you know, in in your quiet time when you pray as you go throughout the day, just that. That's that's what we are are to be praying. That's part of the makeup of our prayer that we're praying that we would simply do what God has called us to do, what God has commanded us to do. And that takes a boldness, and that takes courage, and that takes persistence, and we don't have it. We don't have it. So that has to be erased out of our American mindset. This is not a pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps kind of life. This is a life that must have the interjection of the supernatural power of God continually residing and resting upon us and moving us forward as His people. That's what you see in Paul. This is not some tough guy. If Paul was just left to himself, he would fold eventually. And he may be tougher than me. That's not saying much. But eventually he'd fold. And eventually you will too. If you're, exorc- if, you're, if you're living this life in your own strength, at some point, you'll fold. Something will get you. And it'll be what you never thought. We must have the power. of What you're seeing is the power of God here. And so, he goes back to strengthen these disciples. He to strengthen their faith and to enlighten them of the difficulties of the Christian life. Last time they saw him, he was getting stoned to death. So he comes back. You think that there's a hard lesson, right? But he's back with all, uh, with, 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 with all the, the, the evidence. He comes right back, bloodied and battered. And he says, yeah, this is part of the Christian life. Now, that's a worthy God that he's worshiping. That's a God that requires everything. It's going to cost you. That's what, You want to know that, that, the rest of that gospel message? He comes back bloodied and battered and says, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything. And the same is true. It's going to cost you everything, but the reward is far more glorious. Far more glorious. And so he tells them about the difficulties of the Christian life. It's through many tribulations that will enter the kingdom of heaven. So by way of application, let me leave you with this. A couple thoughts. A couple words of encouragement. Don't be crushed by every conflict or problem. They're coming. That's not not a depressing message. It's just realistic. The Gospel is far more powerful. And in those problems and in those conflicts, the Gospel of Jesus Christ that you're commanded to carry will give you clarity and it will make you defiant when needs be. It's the Gospel. God has a far grander purpose within the conflicts and problems that will arise in your ministry endeavor. Amen? Far greater purpose. Again, God may use you to bless someone else, and He may do so through your pain. So rely on the Lord. We can't. Be reminded enough. Rely upon the Lord. Rely upon the Lord. And know this, that doors are open for the gospel through trials. Trials are often the means through which God opens the door for the gospel. And so here's a question. Can you mark how God has used your trials for good? Now, You may not always be able to do that or you may not be in a a, in a place now where you can look back and say for sure. So I'm not holding you to, to that kind of a standard, but I just want you to think. Can you mark off a time when God has used your trials for good? Because that's, if you can, that's good for you. That's God's graciousness to you, and that's something that you need to hold and cultivate. It's healthy. So think and pray along those lines because the problems are coming. The trials will come. The obstacles will come. The the, the opposition will come. Circumstances will change. And some of them can be very painful. But mark them. And if you don't know definitely, specifically, know this, that they're for God's glory and they're for your good. But note them and mark them and pray for God to help you to be bold and to be persistent. Persistent in Your mission, as His chosen vessel. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank You this morning for the truth of Your Word. We thank You for this uh, beautiful reminder and this encouragement that we see here in the lives of Your missionaries from long ago, um, Paul and Barnabas. We thank You for the reminder of how Your people can rely upon You in all circumstances and know that You are faithful And that you will use uh, even the likes of us and all our frailties and all our weaknesses and all our our, um, lack, that you will fill us up and you will grant us strength to go forth and um, live faithfully and honor you with our lives and carry the gospel. We ask that you would uh, solidify your gospel truth in us. uh, That you will clarify to us our, our mandate, our calling as your missionaries. And that you will help us to, um, to trust you, and to rely upon you, that we might be bold and persistent in our carrying of the gospel. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.